What I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about who is Jesus. And the reason why I want to talk about this tonight is because I believe this is the most important question you will ever have to answer in life is who is Jesus? Because this will determine two things about your life. It'll determine the course of your life, but it will also determine where you spend eternity. And you know that most people who become Christians, like 85 to 90% of people who become Christians, become Christians before they're 18 years old. And so as you sit here tonight as a young person, as a teenager, you know what? Your whole life is in the balance here tonight. And really, everybody here tonight is in one of three categories, okay? You either are a Christian, or you think you're a Christian, or you're not a Christian. And before we leave this place tonight, my hope is that 100% of us, as we leave this place tonight, that every single one of us is a Christian. And, and just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Amen? All right? And there's no, you're not like, well, my parents are Christian. It doesn't matter. You're not born a Christian. You have to consciously, willfully ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And I'll tell you straight up, if you do not give your life to Jesus Christ, listen, when you die, you will perish. You will not be with God in heaven unless you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Mike, well, that's kind of a strong statement. Why do you say that? Because that's what Jesus said. In John chapter 3, verse 16, listen, everybody from the front row to the middle of the back, look up here. In John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I know it's not politically correct to say that there's only one way to God because we want to live in this multicultural society, but the fact of the matter is there is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said that about himself, not because Jesus was on some kind of power trip, because it was the truth, okay? And so this question about who is Jesus is also very important because write this in your notes, is because Christianity is Jesus. Christianity is Jesus. Christianity is not just a belief in a set of truths. Christianity is not just an organization. It's not just a worldview. Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But who is Jesus? And you know, in our culture today, there's a lot of different Jesus. And I want you to look up here for a second, okay? First of all, you've got hipster Jesus. He lives in Williamsburg. He goes to Blue Bottle. I see him all the time. You got bobblehead Jesus, all right? You've got Jesus is my homeboy. And then you've got the son of God Jesus, a good-looking guy from Portugal, okay? He looks like Joel Houston from Hillsong United. So you have that Jesus, all right? But who was Jesus? In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story one day where Jesus is walking on the road with his disciples. And he turns to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and listen to this. He asks them the most important question in the Gospel of Mark. And this is, if, you, if you're a, a Bible scholar, this is right in the center of the Gospel of Mark. He asks them this question. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question Jesus is asking every single one of us tonight is, who do you say that I am? Because how you answer that question will determine the course of this life and where you will spend eternity. And Jesus is without a doubt the most important person in human history. 
There is no one who has had a greater impact on the world than Jesus Christ. Look at this quote up here. It's by uh, famous Yale historian Kenneth Scott Latourette. Look at what he writes. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. Look at this next quote. It's by uh, Ernest Renan. He was, he's a French expert on ancient Middle Eastern languages. Look at what he writes. Jesus was the greatest religious genius that ever lived. His beauty is eternal and his reign shall never end. Jesus is in every respect unique and nothing can be compared with him. All history is incomprehensible without Christ. And then listen to this one last quote. I love it. It's by German historian Philip Schaff. Listen to what he writes about Jesus. Stay with me. This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke, words, he spoke such words of life as were ever spoken before or since, and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of order or poet. Without writing a single line... He set more pens to motion and furnishes more themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. There's nobody like Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later, and you know what? Jesus is more hated and more loved and more famous and more debated and more argued about than ever. Look at all these movies and TV shows that have come out in the last few years. I'm a little older than you guys, so I have to be careful with my cultural references. You go, we don't know what you're talking about. But um, <laughs> The Passion of the Christ came out in 2003. It was directed by Mel Gibson. It was the highest grossing non-English language film of all time. It made over $615 million. There was another book that came out in 2004, 2003 called The Da Vinci Code. It was written by a guy named Dan Brown. And it was a mystery detective novel. And in this novel, what he wrote was that Jesus and Mary Magdalene got together, had a family, and they created a secret bloodline, which is totally bogus. It's just totally a joke. But the book made millions of dollars. It was translated into 44 different languages. They sold 80 million copies, and it was made into a feature film by Tom Hanks in 2006. And the TV series, The Bible, how many of you guys watched the TV series, The Bible? Do you know that was viewed by over 100 million people, and it was the number one television show in 2013? Can we give God a round of applause? Isn't that amazing? Now, it wasn't perfect, and it had its flaws, but you know what? It's out there, and God is moving, and God is doing incredible things. And there is no one more compelling or controversial than Jesus Christ. When people curse, do they say, Thomas Jefferson? No. <laughs> when people curse, do they go, Buddha? No. You know, when you slam your finger door, you go, Muhammad? No. <laughs> what do you do when you curse, and you shouldn't curse? You go, Jesus Christ, you know? Or what my mother used to do when I was in big trouble, she'd go, Jesus H. Christ, okay? <laughs> now, why does that happen? Why do we use Jesus' name as a cuss word? What is it about Jesus? What is it about the name of Jesus that it's like, it's like the primo cuss word? What is it about Jesus? There's something about him. And when you, have you ever noticed this, too? You can get into a group of people, especially in New York, and you can talk about meditation and spirituality and yoga, you know, or pour-overs or, or whatever, but the moment... <laughs> You, you, you talk about Jesus, it's like, awkward. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's like you just threw a dead fish on the table. What is it about 
the name of Jesus that it, it provokes this really strange, awkward response. And contrary to what most atheists predicted in the 20th century, the world isn't becoming less religious, it's becoming more religious. Christianity is exploding around the world. Yeah, Islam is growing fast, but Christianity is growing even faster. Can we put our hands together for that? Isn't that good news? And I want to tell you guys something. At the end of the message, I'm going to put a challenge in front of you guys that you guys be a fearless generation because you know what? ISIS is fearless, aren't they? ISIS is the radical fringe of Islam. Well, where's the radical fringe of Christianity? We should be as devoted to Jesus Christ and the gospel as Muslim terrorists are to what they believe. Amen? But the radical Christian isn't blowing himself up or flying planes into buildings. The radical Christian is laying down his life and sacrificing it for the good of others. Let's be a fearless generation. I'm not going to sit back and watch Islam take over the world. I'm going to do everything I can to preach the gospel and to win it for Christ. Amen? You guys be the generation that says, no, we're going to rise up and we're going to be the ISIS equivalent of, of Christians. We're going to be radical for Jesus and we're going to be fearless and we're not going to sit back and watch the world go down the tubes. We're actually going to get out there and do something about it. Amen? Faith in Jesus is exploding around the world. In Africa, listen to this. In Africa, in 1900, there was 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there is over 390 million Christians in Africa. And that number is expected to climb to 633 million by 2025. In China, the number of Christians has increased a hundredfold since 1949. Current estimates is that there's between 80 million to 130 million Christians in China, and that number is expected to triple within the next 15 to 20 years. There's going to be more Christians in China than there are Americans in America. Isn't that amazing? China is on its way to becoming the largest Christian country in the world. Isn't that incredible? Even though they're suffering under a communist government, the Christian church is exploding in China. In 1966, John Lennon had this very famous quote where he says, we're bigger than Jesus. Well, maybe in, nine, maybe in, nine, maybe in, 19, maybe in 1966, but not in 2016. Amen? No one even knows who John Lennon is, but everybody knows who Jesus is. Amen? I mean, some people know who John Lennon is. But, but here's, a question, here's the first question I want to answer. And I'm going to talk about a couple things. First, the first question I want to answer is, did Jesus actually exist? Was Jesus a historical person? He was absolutely a historical person. Look at this quote by F.F. F. Bruce. He was a British uh, New Testament scholar. The historicity of Christ is as axiomatic, that's a fancy word that means unquestionable. It's as unquestionable for an unbiased historian as the historicity of Julius Caesar. Well, how do we know that Jesus actually existed? Well, the first way we know that Jesus existed is by the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Now, the four Gospels are recognized even by secular historians as reliable historical documents. And we know they're reliable historical documents for a couple of reasons. First of all, is that all of the Gospels were, they were, well, three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all probably written before 60 AD, okay? So they were written while tens of thousands of eyewitnesses of Jesus were still alive. And nobody even questioned the veracity of the Gospels until about the late, late part of the 19th century. Listen, stay with me. Because everybody knew that what was in the Gospels was, was true. Nobody in the first century ever questioned the, the, the reliability of the Gospels because they were recognized as reliable historical documents. And not only that, but all the authors of the Gospels, except for Luke, were either martyred or suffered severe persecution because they refused to deny what they had written in the Gospels. Secondly, we know that Jesus existed from the writings of Paul. 
And here's a little Bible nerd thing. Most New Testament scholars believe that the earliest writings in the New Testament are the writings of Paul, and that they were written within between 48 to 49 AD, within about 12 years of the life of Jesus. And that what Paul is doing is Paul, like in 1 Corinthians 15, just stay with me, I know this is nerd stuff, stay with me, is in 1 Corinthians 15, he's actually quoting back to some document that they don't know what it is, but they believe it dates within three years of the life of Jesus. And so it's, I mean, with, like within a few years of the death of Jesus, New Testament books were being written, the Gospels were beginning to be, to be written, and, and what was happening was tens of thousands of people had seen Jesus, had heard Jesus, and nobody ever questioned what was written down in the Gospels because it was an accurate reflection of what had been written. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, is considered today by secular non-Christian historians as a historian of the first class. William Ramsey, who's probably the greatest archaeologist of all time, he's a very famous Egyptologist archaeologist, this, listen to what he wrote about Luke. Luke is a historian of the first rank. The author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. You see, all right, Mike, well, those are all Bible examples. What are the, is there references to Jesus outside of the Bible? Yes, there absolutely is. Good question, okay? There's three Roman historians, that all, secular anti-Christian historians who talk about the existence of Jesus. Pliny, Suetonius, and Tacitus. Boy, that'd be a really good question at the end, wouldn't it? Pliny, Suetonius, and Tacitus. They all mention Jesus. There's a Jewish historian named Josephus. He talks about Jesus. The rabbinic literature of the day, which is recorded in the Talmud, they talk about the existence of Jesus. And you know what's fascinating about the, about the rabbinic references to Jesus? Is they're hostile witnesses because they didn't like Jesus. And you know what's fascinating is that they talk about Jesus. And this is what they say. They say, yeah, he did miracles, but by black magic. They call Jesus a sorcerer. And you know what's so rad about that? What are they doing indirectly? They're actually admitting that Jesus did miracles. And so hostile, non-Christian literature talks about the fact that Jesus Christ did miracles. They just said he was a sorcerer and he did it by black magic. Isn't that fascinating? Josephus, the Talmud, Pliny, Tacitus, Suetonius all talk about the existence of Jesus Christ, okay? Non-Christian sources talk about the historicity of Jesus Christ. And I jumped ahead in my notes here, so uh, give me one second. Okay, the second question I want to ask is, was Jesus in fact God, or was that a myth that developed in the early church, okay? Well, first of all, Jesus did things that only God can do. And I think I have a thing there for you to write this down in your notes. Jesus did things that only God can do. First of all, he forgave sins. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus tells this paralyzed guy, and this is a really great story, is Jesus is teaching in this house. He was probably teaching in Peter's house. And there was, these, there was this group of guys, and they had this one friend of theirs who was paralyzed. Okay? And they knew if they, could, if they could get their friend to Jesus, Jesus could heal him. But this house was packed. This Bible study was going off. Jesus was killing it. The place is packed. It's spilling outside. And they can't get their paralyzed friend into Peter's house. So what do they do? They go up on the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof. And, they, and then they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And you imagine Jesus just sitting there, and all of a sudden, a guy just comes down in front of him. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus, can you touch him and heal him? And Jesus looks at this paralyzed guy, and instead of healing him, he looks at him, and he says, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the moment he does it, the Pharisees who are sitting there are going, why does this man blaspheme? He says, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus forgave people's sins. And he forgave this paralyzed guy as if he had sinned against Jesus. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus forgave people. Like, think about it like this. What if I was on the subway in New York City and I just, went, I just walked up to people and went, 
I forgive your sins. <laughs> They'd be like, well, who are you? You know what I mean? Or if I saw two people fighting and I forgive you and I forgive you, he'd be like, you're a psycho, dude. Like you're off your pills or something. You know, you can't just walk up to rando people and just forgive them, but that's what Jesus did. He walked around and forgave people as though they had sinned against him. The second thing Jesus did is he spoke from his own authority. You know, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, the law says, but I say to you. And then there's one day where Jesus just arbitrarily, he abolishes all the dietary laws of the Old Testament in just one swoop. He just changes the law because he was God. He spoke from his own authority. Jesus spoke as if he was God, giving new laws and new commandments. Jesus received worship. You remember that at the end of the Gospel of John? Thomas, who's like a little 21st century millennial, says, well, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch his hands and stick my fingers in his side. And he just goes, boom. <laughs> he's like, touch my hand, touch my side. And what does Thomas do? He falls down in front of Jesus, and, and he looks up to Jesus, and he says, he says, my Lord and my God. And he begins to worship Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He receives that worship. He doesn't say, what are you doing? He takes it. He receives worship, just like God would. There's a funny story in the, in the book of Revelation where John's taken up to heaven and he sees this really beautiful angel and John falls down and he starts worshiping this angel and the angel goes, bro, what are you doing? We're going to get in big trouble. <laughs> and he's like, don't worship me. He says, worship God alone. I mean, that's idolatry. That, that's a violation of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus received worship because he was God. Jesus did miracles by his own power. He did miracles without even praying. I've, I've done like one miracle and I had to pray for like six years to have that one miracle. I'm just kidding. Jesus did miracles without even praying. He would just, he would just do miracles out, out of his own ability. He turned water into wine. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He healed the sick of his own power and of his own authority and of his own ability. He performed miracles. And lastly, Jesus claimed to be God. He said before Abraham was, I am. And by saying that, you know what he was saying? He was saying that I existed before Abraham, I'm eternal. And the name for God that God gave Moses in the burning bush was what? I am that I am. He used the name of God for himself. He told his disciples that if you've seen me, you've seen God. And in one of the most powerful scenes in John chapter 10, uh, one day uh, the Jews are taking up stones and they're going to stone Jesus. They're going to kill him. And Jesus says, for what good deed have I done that you stone me? And they say, it's not for any good deed that you've done, but that you, being a mere man, claim to be God. You know why the Pharisees killed Jesus and crucified him? Because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. And we're going to talk about it more in a minute. And he proved that he was God by his resurrection from the dead. And here's one last thing to think about. And I want you to lean in. This is kind of a Bible nerd thing, all right? Listen to this. Is all the New Testament was written by devout Jews, except for Luke and Acts, okay? And the Jews of Jesus' day were, were Orthodox Jews. They were deeply devout Jews. And Jewish people are monotheistic. They don't worship many gods. They worship one God. In Deuteronomy 6.4, there's a thing that's called the Shema. And the Shema says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The heart of the Jewish faith is the Shema, which is a, a recognition that there's one God. And so the only way that these devout Jews would have worshipped a human being was only in the event that this human being was actually God himself. That's the only way Peter and James and Paul and all these guys would have worshipped Jesus. It was only because Jesus, Jesus Christ was, in fact, God. That's the only way that deeply devout Jews would have done it. And here's the thing, is that in our pluralistic 
postmodern, multicultural, diverse society, listen to this, Jesus stands alone and is unique. There is nobody like Jesus. And here's what I want to do as we, for the second half of this message. I want you to write these down. I'm going to give you five ways in which Jesus is unique. Write this down. Five ways in which Jesus is unique. The first is that Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was the only human being in all of human history to be born of a virgin. Mary and Jesus, Mary and Joseph did not get together and do the birds and the bees, okay? And there might be some junior hires in here. I'll have to explain it to you later, all right? So Mary and, Mary and Joseph did not get together and conceive Jesus. He was not the byproduct of normal human reproduction. Listen, the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus, conceived Jesus in Mary's womb by his supernatural power. Think about that for a moment. And you know how old Mary was, girls? She was about like your age. She was probably 14 or 15 years old. You imagine that after youth group, you're going home and the angel Gabriel appears to you and says, behold, you're going to have a child. And you're like, I'm only 14. <laughs> what am I going to tell my parents? <laughs> I'm only in ninth grade. It's like, well, too bad. <laughs> and here's the thing about virgin birth. You know what? They're impossible, Okay. Virgins do not get pregnant. They just don't, it doesn't happen, all right? Virgin births are impossible. We go, oh, yeah, I believe in the virgin birth. No, you don't. Think about how crazy a virgin birth is, okay? A virgin birth, is, it's, it's as impossible as God speaking the universe into existence in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And yet, listen, that is how Jesus Christ came into the world through a miraculous act of God. A supernatural thing happened. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and he conceived Jesus Christ inside of her, and Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And that alone, I could just drop the mic and we're done, okay? That alone makes Jesus Christ unique, okay? Buddha was not born of a virgin. Muhammad was not born of a virgin. Confucius was not born of a virgin. Abraham Lincoln was not born of a virgin. Donald Trump was not born of a virgin, okay? <laughs> Alan was not born of a virgin, okay? Jesus Christ is the only human being in all of human history to be conceived of a virgin. And this is prophesied about in the Old Testament. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you know what's so strange about that? Women don't have seed, okay? So there's something about this baby that he'll be born of the, of the woman's seed, something weird, something supernatural, something not normal is going to happen with the birth of the Messiah. And then we see it in Isaiah 7:14, and I should have the verse up here. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then as we see it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Listen to what it writes. Stay with me, okay? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And they took this place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken to them by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. And you know, Jesus had, he had at least four brothers and two sisters. Do you realize that? 
you know, the Catholics, they believe in what's called the perpetual virginity of Mary, and the New Testament doesn't teach that. Imagine if Jesus was your older brother, okay? First of all, nobody would ever beat you up, okay? Because Jesus would just kill him. No. <laughs> okay, just make him disappear. It's just like, you don't exist anymore, and they're just gone, you know? I'm, he wouldn't do that. I'm kidding. Or your mother would always be, why can't you be like Jesus? Because he's perfect. He's God, you know? Okay. The second thing, write this down, <laughs> is that... Uh, well, let me read this one last quote to you. This is by Al Mohler, okay? Listen to what he says. The answer, someone asked Dr. Al Mohler one time, he said, Al Mohler, can you be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth? And this is what he writes. The answer to that question must be a decisive no. Christians must face the fact that the denial of the virgin birth is the denial of Jesus the Christ, the Savior who died for our sins and none other than the baby who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. The virgin birth does not stand alone as a biblical doctrine. It is an irreducible part of the biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. With it, with it, the gospel stands or falls. And Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, The greatest and momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of the birth of Jesus. That alone is the craziest, trippiest thing in the world. Okay. The second way we know that Jesus is unique, write this down, is that he was sinless. Again, Buddha, Moses, Mohammed, and Confucius were all sinners. Yes, great men. Yes, important men. Yes, influential men. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hating on those guys. I respect them. They had a huge impact on the world. But you know what they were? They were people just like you and I. They were just sinners. And when you read the writings of Buddha, Mohammed, and Confucius, you know what they all do? They all talk about their sinfulness. They admit to it. They talk about their own humanity. Mohammed spent the last 10 years of his life at war. He had more wives than he was supposed to, and he married like a 9-year-old girl, and he admits all that. Mohammed admitted that he was a sinner, and he was not the nicest guy, okay? But not Jesus. Not only was Jesus born sinless, but Jesus never committed a single sin. Look at this, look at this verse by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Maybe I don't have it. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never did a single thing wrong. He never had a bad thought. He never said a wrong thing. He never did the wrong thing. Jesus was 100% sinless and flawless. The third way that Jesus is unique is he died on a cross. Write that down. He died on a cross. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, in Jesus' world, thousands of people died on crosses. There was one Roman general, and I, I couldn't find his name today, in one instance, he crucified like 6,000 people one day. He put them all on this one road. It was this people group who rose up against him, and he just crucified all of them. Crucifixion was part of life in the ancient world. Crucifixion was the electric chair of Jesus' day. Do you realize that? Like the cross is kind of like a trendy piece of jewelry. You're literally walking around with like an electric chair hanging around your neck. And every time you see a church with a cross on top of it, it's like an electric chair. It was the most brutal form of of, cruci of of execution that was ever invented, and it was actually created by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. And so thousands of people were crucified. What was different about the crucifixion of Jesus is that no one in all of human history willingly died for the sins of others who was an innocent man. And none of the great religious or political leaders of human history died on a cross, but Jesus Christ, who was sinless and perfect, willingly died on a cross for the sins of all mankind. An innocent man sacrificed his life for others. Again, Buddha didn't die on a cross. Muhammad didn't die on a cross. Moses didn't die on a cross. Confucius didn't die on a cross. Donald Trump didn't die on a cross. Nobody died on a cross except 
Jesus Christ. The fourth way that Jesus is unique, write this down, is he resurrected from the dead. Jesus is the only person in all of human history to resurrect from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, but really he just resuscitated Lazarus. Jesus was the only one, and then Lazarus died, Lazarus died again, okay? But Jesus was resurrected from the dead into eternal life, and he never died again. And you know what's kind of funny about the resurrection of Lazarus? The only person that the resurrection of Lazarus was rad for was for Mary and Martha, his sisters. For Lazarus, it was a bummer, okay? Lazarus was in paradise going, yeah, this is awesome. And he's like, back in this world, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, like, sucked for Lazarus. And it's just like, really, Jesus? He's like, well, your sisters were kind of bummed, so we had to bring you back. So, you know, it's like he was in paradise, okay? And again, all those great men, I respect them, I admire them, but Moses did not raise from the dead, Buddha did not raise from the dead, Confucius did not raise from the dead, Muhammad did not raise from the dead. No other single person in human history resurrected from the dead into eternal life. And lastly, Jesus alone, of all the world's great religious leaders, claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, and he proved that he was God. Moses, the founder of Judaism, did not claim to be God. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, did not claim to be God. In fact, in the Quran, Muhammad says, I am only immortal as you are. To me, it has been revealed that your God is one God. Muhammad said, I'm immortal. Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, he said, follow the teaching, not the man. Buddha said, don't even follow me. Listen to what I'm saying, but don't follow me. And Confucius said, as to being a divine sage or even a good man, far be it from me to take any such claim. Whereas Jesus claimed to be God and proved that he was God by his resurrection from the dead. And then what Jesus did, and write this down, just write John 14, 6 in your notes. And I want you to write this down. I'm, I'm going to say it very slowly. This is what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the way. Write that down. I am the truth. So I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one, write that down, comes to the Father except through me. Drop mic. Nobody ever said anything like that. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life. There's many roads that lead to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And you know what? Jesus is the humblest guy who ever lived. He was not on some gigantic ego trip. He was telling us the truth because he loved us. And then Peter confirmed this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. You should write this verse down, but Jesus. You should have these two verses memorized. These should be on the tip of your tongue, especially as the world gets crazier and stranger and more multicultural and more diverse and more pluralistic and less Christian. You're going to need to have these two, these two verses memorized and know them like the back of your hand. There is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. So how was Jesus unique? And you need to have these memorized so you can rattle them off quickly when you're at school or when you're at college or whenever you, you get into a thing with somebody. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He died on the cross, he resurrected from the dead, and he claimed to be God and proved that he was God by his resurrection from the dead. And before I read one last thing in close, can we just give Jesus Christ a round of applause for all of that? Can we hear it for Jesus Christ tonight? All right. 
And I'm going to be done in just a second. And you're like, praise God, I'm almost done. Jesus says, so here's the thing. Look up here. Everyone look up here. So what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with this guy? This crazy guy who showed up in the first century, said things like no one's ever said, did things like nobody ever did. Do you know that history is divided by the birth of Jesus? That today, what is it, November 6th? Is that what it is? November 4th. I don't, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of you guys. So I'm already in the future. No. So today is November 4th, 2016. 20, 2016 what? 2016 years from the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the calendar is divided by the birth of Jesus? And when we say 2016, AD, you know what AD means? It means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Literally, time is split in half by the birth of Jesus Christ, okay? So what do we do with this guy, Jesus? Well, I love what C.S. Lewis writes. And this is the, fa- this is the famous trilemma of C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he writes. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Listen to me. Stay with me. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the, de- the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool and call him Lord and God, or call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about us being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And these are the only three conclusions you have about Jesus. He was either a liar, he was either a lunatic, or he was Lord. Nobody would die for a lie. When you read the Gospels, Jesus does not seem like a crazy person. You know what? He seems like the sanest person in all the stories. So if he wasn't lying and he's not crazy, then as you sit there tonight as a young teenager looking up at me right now, you only have one last option. Jesus Christ was in fact Lord. That the craziest thing that you could ever think about, that the creator of the universe, the God who made the septillion stars, there's more stars than they can count. That the God who made everything, listen to this, 2,000 years became a human being and walked on planet Earth. That is the craziest thing you'll ever hear, that God became a human being. And then he lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross for sins, and then he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And all we have to do to be forgiven and receive eternal life is to accept him into our heart as our Lord and our Savior. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. And so as we close, here's, here's the two things I want to close with, all right? And then I'm done, and the worship team can come up. Here's the two things I want to close with. First of all, look up here, everybody. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to give Jesus a chance. I mean, what do you have to lose? If you open your heart and you give your life to Christ, what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose, and you have everything to gain. There's a thing that's called Pascal's Wager. Pascal says, you know, it's better to believe in God and find out in the end he wasn't real than to not believe in God and find out that he was. Wouldn't that be a bummer? You stand before God and you go, oops. And God's like, yeah, oops, bro. <laughs> and so here's tonight. I want to challenge you to open your heart and to give Jesus Christ a chance. And then here's the other challenge I have. It's for all of us who are Christians. Is that my challenge to you is that you would be bold and fearless for Jesus. Okay? That you would be fearless for Christ. That we would be a fearless generation. And let's all stand to our feet. Everybody stand up. Stand to your feet.
And here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to pray with everybody, but I, wanna be, I don't want to be a liar. So I'm going I'm to give away these prizes really fast. Okay? What was the name of one of the Roman historians who talked about Jesus? Right there. No. Pliny. He was, he was a Jewish historian. Very good. Very close. Okay? Who worshipped Jesus and he received it? Who said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in his side? Thomas. Good job. And when Jesus was walking along with his disciples, what was the question that he asked them? Who do men say that at? Good job. Let's give them a round of applause. Put your hands together for all of them. Okay. Well, let's do this. First of all, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, I thank you so much for all these young people that are here tonight, Jesus. And this is a big question, Lord. Who is Jesus? Because we know what the implications are, Lord. We know that if we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, that there are all kinds of implications that come along with us. We know that, Lord. We realize that. We realize the heaviness of that. And Jesus, you said that you want us to count the cost, Lord. You don't want us just to blindly accept you into our hearts, but you want us to count the cost. But first of all, Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that's never given their life to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that in this place tonight, they would have the courage to open their heart and to receive you, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and your Savior, that they would just give you a chance, that they would have that, that, that tiny bit of faith. Lord, you said if we have faith like a mustard seed, which was the tiniest seed that a Jewish person was aware of, all they had to have was faith like a mustard seed, and they could tell the mountains to go into the sea, and they would. Lord, you don't, you don't require incredible faith. You just require the tiniest bit of faith. And I pray that if there's a young person here tonight that they've never surrendered their life to you and that they just have the tiniest bit of faith, I pray you give them the courage tonight to open their hearts and to receive you. I pray for anybody here tonight that maybe they've gone to church their whole life and they think they're a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. I pray that Jesus here tonight, they would, they'd cross over and for the first time in their life, even though they've heard this a million times, that this would be the night when they believed it and they received you. And then for those who do know you, myself included, and Alan, and all the leaders, and all these young people, God, make us a fearless generation, Jesus. Forgive us for being timid. Forgive us for being embarrassed of the gospel. Forgive us for being ashamed of you, Jesus, and make us fearless, Lord. Take away the fear of man. Take away the fear of the world. Take away you know, fear of being cool or what other people are going to think about us. Take all of that away. Take it away here in this place tonight, Lord. And make us fearless for you, Jesus. God, bring revival to New Jersey, Lord. Rain down your Holy Spirit on New Jersey, God. From the New York border all the way down to, I guess, the Delaware border to the Pennsylvania border, we pray that New Jersey would become known for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. That it wouldn't be known for Jersey Shore and Atlantic City and corruption and all these things, but this state would be known for the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, you're not done with America, God. You haven't given up on us, and you haven't given up on this generation. Lord, you love this generation, God. You believe in this generation. This could be the greatest generation the world has ever seen. They could turn the world upside down. They could set the world on fire for you. And I pray that they would do it, Lord. And we pray for this presidential election. You know, we joke around about it, but it's scary, Lord. And we're all freaked out, and we're freaked out about the future, and we don't know what it has in store. But we look to you tonight knowing that you are the King of Kings, and you're the Lord of Lords, and you're the God of Gods. And above everything, you reign victorious, Jesus. 
You're Lord over sickness. You're Lord over broken families. You're Lord over addictions and pornography and all those things. You are Lord over all those things, and you are sovereign and supreme tonight. And we thank you that, Jesus, because you did raise from the dead, you are alive, and you are in this youth room tonight. You are here in this place. You said wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that behold, you are there in the midst of them. And, Jesus, you're here tonight in this space. And I pray that you would touch hearts and you would speak to people. So with every head bowed, with every eyes closed, the first thing I want to do is if you're here tonight and you haven't given your life to Christ, but you want to give your life to Christ, I want to challenge you tonight just to give Jesus a chance to take that tiny bit of mustard seed of faith and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to open my heart and receive you. And on the count of three, if that's you, with all heads bowed, no one looking, you don't have to be embarrassed, just I want you to raise your hand up on the count of three. If that's you tonight, you want to pray to receive Christ. One, put your hand up. Two, don't be afraid. Three, raise those hands up right now. If you're here tonight, I see that hand. Yep, I see the one in the back. I see this one right here, this one right here. Yep, any other hands? Just put your hand up right now. You're in a safe place. It doesn't get any more safer than this. It doesn't get any more okay than this. Just put your hand up right now where I can see it. Anybody else across? Yep, I see that hand. Anybody else? Just put your hand up. Well, this is what I want us to do. I want us all to pray to receive Jesus Christ, okay? This isn't a magic prayer. Some people say, well, I prayed that Jesus prayer. It doesn't, it's not a magic prayer. All that I'm doing is I'm giving, I'm giving words to what's going on in your heart. I'm just helping you. And listen, if you're real with God, God will be real with you. And this, this honestly, if you pray this prayer tonight with all of your heart, with that tiny mustard seed of faith, this will be the most important night of your life. I promise you. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We were just kind of Irish Catholic. And when I was 18 years old, I went to a youth group like this. Actually, your youth group was kind of better and cooler than mine was. But I went to this little youth group, and I prayed this very simple prayer. And I asked Jesus Christ to come in my life, and I was radically changed. I went from selling drugs and just partying and, and having a life that was a disaster from a broken family. And Jesus transformed my life, and I've been a pastor and serving him ever since. So if you're here tonight, pray this prayer. Pray it with all your heart. Pray it believing, and Jesus will hear it. So let's pray this prayer, and let's all pray it out loud together, nice and loud, courageously. Repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven. No, you got to do way better than that, from the front to the back. And all the guys, too, not just the nice ladies, okay? All right. Coolest thing, guys, I'll tell you about women. If you're spiritual, boy, they love that, okay? So you, you want to get a girlfriend? Get godly. Amen, ladies? Amen. Uh, they love godly dudes, all right? You're thinking, I got to get godly. <laughs> and they're watching, trust me, okay? You get godly, and you're going you, you to beat them back with a stick, okay? So from the front to the back, we're going to pray this prayer nice and out loud, all right? Boldly, courageously, jersey strong. Come on, you're not wimps, all right? Say, Father in heaven. That's what I'm talking about. In Jesus' name I pray. God, forgive me for all my sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've done things wrong. Please forgive me, God. Please wash me clean with the blood of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, come inside of me. Make me a new person. Cleanse me. Heal me. Set me free. Give me power and help me to be the person you want me to be.
and Jesus Christ be my Lord, be my Savior, be my God, and here tonight, on November 4th, 2016, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's put our hands together. Let's make a big round of applause. Isn't that awesome? And now here's what I want us to do, and I got in trouble for doing this at a church, but we're going to do it anyways, is I want you to, I want you to lift both your hands into the air, okay? Put your, lift your hands in the air, everybody. Come on, you can do it. There you go. Just like you're double high-fiving somebody, all right? Okay? And this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray tonight that God's going to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like a rad idea? We're going to pray that God fills us with power, and this is what we're going to pray, that God makes us a fearless generation. Amen? No more fear. No more being ashamed. No more sitting back and being terrified about, you know, Islam or politics or any of those things. We're going to rise up and we're going to set the world on fire for Jesus. Amen? From the front to the back, one more prayer, and then we're going to worship Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh tonight. Fill me with your power. Fill me with boldness. Fill me with courage. And help me, Holy Spirit, to set my world on fire for you. Bring revival. Bring an awakening. And rain down your Holy Spirit on New Jersey, on America, and on the whole world. Refresh me, Holy Spirit. Transform my life. Set me free from all the things I struggle with and heal the hurts of my heart. In Jesus' name. And one more time, all God's people said, let's put our hands together. Let's put our hands together. Now, this is what we're going to do. There's a couple, here's, here's first, listen. If you still have a lot of questions, and actually my, my message actually cause more questions than answers, you know what, that's a good thing, because you know what, you're starting to think. You know what, they don't want you to think, okay? They want you just to be a dummy, okay? They want you to eat Doritos, play video games, and just don't do anything. That's what they want, okay? They don't want you to think. Satan doesn't want you to think. But now you're starting to think. There's a really good book, if you're kind of a smart kid, and I can tell a lot of you guys are smart, because you're kind of the whole time you're going, I don't know, is uh, there's a really good book you can get by Least Trouble called The Case for Christ. Read that book. And the other challenge I have for you is, and I want you to start tonight. When you go home, I want you to read through the Gospel of Mark. I, I call it a Twitter Gospel because it's really short and quick. It's the shortest and quickest of all the Gospels. It's like the easiest to read. It's 16 chapters. You'll knock it out in no time. And tonight, when you go home, I want you, before you go to bed, to read Mark chapter 1. And then over the next 15 days, I want you to read through the Gospel of Mark. And I want you to look at the life of Jesus for yourself. I want you to look at Jesus and say, who was Jesus? Because you have to resolve this question. You have to answer this question, and it's the most important question you'll ever have to deal with in your life. And if you have questions, talk to Alan. Talk to one of the youth pastors. And then the last thing I want to do is, is before we leave this place and head back out there, if you're here tonight and you've been struggling with something, you know, they say that the first exposure that a person has to pornography now is when they're about eight years old. Isn't that crazy? 
And you, most of you guys have seen more stuff by the time you're 15 or 16 than anybody in history would have seen in their entire lifetime, the things you've seen and been exposed to. And so if you're here tonight and you're struggling with pornography, or if you're struggling with cutting yourself or self-abuse, or you're depressed, or you've been struggling with drugs or alcohol, or maybe things are really bad at home and your parents' marriage isn't good, maybe you've been thinking about committing suicide, and maybe you came tonight thinking, if I don't hear from the Lord tonight, like, this is it, I'm just going to end it. If you brought something in here tonight, what we're going to do as we sing these songs is I want you to come, go to Jesus tonight with that thing, and I want you to give it to the Lord. And I want you to say, Jesus, set me free from this addiction to pornography. Lord, heal me of this depression. Lord, I've been thinking about killing myself, but I don't want to kill myself. Give me a reason to live. Lord, heal my heart. If your family's falling apart and there's, there's bad things at home, you know, my parents got divorced and it kind of rocked my family. Take that to Jesus tonight. Say, Lord, heal my parents' marriage. Heal, heal what's going on there. This is a safe place, and Jesus is here tonight. And whatever you brought in, whatever you're struggling with, if I didn't name your thing, but you got your thing tonight, this is the place and the space where you want to deal with it. Amen? You're in a safe place. And, you know, don't worry about who's next to you or who's behind you or where you got to go or you're hungry or why didn't you get the Skittles? You had the right answer. Don't worry about any of those things, okay? This is what we're going to do. We're going to sing a few songs and then we'll play games, and we can go do, you can, you know, check up on Instagram or whatever you need to do. But in these few moments, let's not look at our phones. Let's not worry about anything. We're going to sing these songs, and we're going to talk to Jesus. And this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll, then I'll be quiet, is that, listen, Jesus has the capability to heal you. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, incarnate. He's here tonight. And Jesus can heal you, and he loves you. And Jesus loves you more than anybody who ever lived. You know what? That's why I gave my life to Christ when I realized that. Jesus loved me. He died for me. And my youth pastor said, even if you were the only person who ever would have sinned, Jesus would have died for you. And as I sat there as a little hater, atheist, drug-dealing, rotten kid, as I sat there and I realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, that he loved me, that God died for me, even if I was the only person who ever would have lived, in that moment I said, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And not only am I going to give my life to Jesus, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling the world about him. Amen? He loves you. He loves you. He, the Bible says that he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head, that his thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea, that he loved you before you were ever even born, that he's known about you from all of eternity. He loves you more than your grandmother. That, I know that seems impossible, but he does. He loves you more than your dog. I know that seems impossible, but he does. He loves you more than anybody, and he loves you tonight. And he's real, and he's alive, and he's here, and he can heal your heart. And the last thing I'm going to say is, if you didn't pray that prayer, you're like holding out, you just won't give in to Jesus, just give in. Don't be that guy. Just go, all right, I give, I give my life to Jesus. <laughs> just do it before you leave this place, okay? We're going to sing these two songs, and I might say one, or more, one, two other things, and then we'll be done. But let's sing these songs, and let's worship Jesus. And as we sing these songs, whatever your thing is, I want you to give it to Jesus. And we're going to worship, and we're going to sing these songs with all of our heart.